right, thank you guys. Well, good morning, church. It is, again, I wish I could say it's great to see you. I'm not seeing anybody here today. Um, I'm sure you all look beautiful, but I just wanted to say thank you for chiming in online and tuning in uh, so you can join us here today. Yes, this is very, very awkward for everybody. And uh, also say this is probably one of the worst nightmares that any pastor could have, right? You stand up to preach and there's an empty church. Uh, typically means maybe the rapture happened and you weren't a part of it or um, or you killed the church and you don't want that either. So uh, either way, I'm glad that you guys decided to t- chime in today and uh, to tune in online and to be with us today. Uh, we are in the second week of the corona shutdown. Uh, we hope everybody is safe and staying hopeful at home. Uh, we do miss you and, and can't wait to gather with you guys again uh, whenever this thing is all said and done with. Uh, As Jeff mentioned earlier, a number of you have been asking how you can be involved, how we can stay connected and be helpful to the community around us during this season. Uh, There are a few ways that I want to bring to your attention. Uh, The first is we do need to stay connected, and Jeff has been talking a lot about this uh, here and just recently and stuff, but there's ways to be connected through Instagram, through Facebook, Facebook Live, which you're watching this right now. YouTube Live is out there also. You can opt in on our website, dallasbible.org backslash opt in. You can stay connected that way. Uh, But one of the things we're about to be launching heavily this next week is we want to get the pulse of how this lock-in is impacting everybody at home. And so if you go to our website, dallasbible.org backslash care, um, you're going to see this little form and you're going to see this this thing that you can fill out that'll help us understand how you're being impacted by everything that's going on today. And so really we're thinking about this in a few different ways. We want to understand, number one, physically, are you okay? Uh, Like, have you, have you, are you sick? Uh, Has it impacted anyone in your immediate family or anything like that? We want to know physically if you're doing okay. We want to know emotionally if you're doing okay, too, and if the church can come around you and support you from any different emotional angles as well. Uh, We want to know about financial impact. We know that this is a season that a lot of restaurants and a lot in the service industry especially have been heavily, heavily, heavily impacted uh, by the lockdown and people not going out anymore. And we just want to say as a church, we know you, we see you, And for everybody that's out there, we don't know your specific story yet. We want to understand how this is impacting you financially. We want to be the church, and we want to come around you and support you and possibly provide some financial assistance if that's needed on your end, too. And so please opt in. Again, you can go to dallasbible.org backslash care, and uh, you can kind of let us know about some things that are going on uh, right there. There's also a section there. We want to know how we can help you out. If you've got specific needs, some of you are sitting at home and you're not able to go out, you are in that most vulnerable group of people and you're not able to go to the store or anything. If you've got specific needs that you need help with, I'll let you know that we've got a lot of different groups around the church that are saying, hey, we want to rise up and we can help you uh, take, we can help you do some of these errands and things that you have. And so please opt into that. Let us know uh, what's going on right there. Uh, The second way that you can be involved is to continue giving and and continue giving online. Uh, One of the things that uh, we're not able to do is we're not able to come. uh, Thank you very much. But uh, we're not able to come and do our normal offering on Sunday mornings anymore. Um, Probably about 35 to 40 percent of our weekly offering is taken physically, manually, either through checks being sent in or by paying Dallas Bible Dog dallasbible.org backslash give and uh, you can set up automatic giving there or you can do one-time gifts and things of that nature. I'm also going to drive your attention to uh, the Benevolence Fund. Many of you have heard about our Benevolence Fund, but this is what, it's seasons like this that we even have this thing to begin with, but this is for one-time emergency assistance, people that have severe need 
um, life crises and things of that nature. You can give specifically to but the Benevolence Fund, and uh, we're going to take care of each other in this time. And so please go ahead and do that. Uh, if you don't want to do that, our general fund, we're just going to make sure that people are taken care of in our church and in our surrounding community too, so you can keep going, uh, keep giving on our uh, general fund as well. Last thing I just want to draw your attention to is the different ways that we can serve. And honestly, church, people are asking how we can get out there and do a bunch of stuff. And really the best way that you can serve the church and you can serve the community is simply to stay at home and to honor people around you, not pass around the sickness, the virus, whatever's going on, and to stay at home. Uh, that is the best way that you can serve right now. I also want to encourage our church to keep shopping local. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have taken their, their food, the food industry online. And so shop local, buy food out there, and support uh, the people that are around you. And then again, you can go to dallasbible.org backslash care. And this next week, uh, we are going to be updating that site along with all the different ways that you can be specifically serving our church and our immediate community all around us. But that is what we want to do. We do have needs in our food pantry. As you know, food is uh, short uh, for some different families in our, in our area. And so we do have need to stock the food pantry uh, pretty well. I'm also going to let you know that we received a notice from Our Calling, which is our homeless partner uh, that's more in the downtown area, but got a notice this past week. They have a, a serious need for food donations, for monetary donations, and for up, there's opportunities that you can go and serve over there in small, tiny groups. They've, they've done a lot of safety precautions and things like that that'll make it uh, okay for you to go out there and serve the community. These people that have very little to go on every single day. But uh, if none of that works, then just want to encourage you, church, to be creative, to look around you and to say, Lord, what would you have me do for our neighbors this week? Uh, this past week, I come up to the church, and I see Dawn Moody in the back, and, and uh, she's cutting out shamrocks, these green shamrocks and stuff. And I'm wondering, okay, what in the world is she doing here? And she's going out to the community, and she's knocking on doors with bags of candy and stuff. And then she's walking back to the, back to the street with these signs up saying, we love you. How can we pray for you? Are you okay? Is there anything we can do to help you? And I'll just say it's an incredibly creative way to go and to serve your neighbors and to serve the other people in our community. And church, that is what we want to be doing in this season. We're not living by fear. This is the time that the church rises up. We walk by faith and we go and we serve our surrounding community. Uh, this past week I was reading uh, some of my favorite works from the early church time. The second century is called Aristides Apology. And I've told you guys about this before, but this is some of my favorite reading to do, which is essentially about the, the testimonies of the early church community. Um, and that's, that's what Aristides' apology is. Essentially, it's a second century letter that was written from an Athenian philosopher to the Roman emperor named Herodias, uh, I'm sorry, Hadrian. And he's essentially just looking at the early Christian community and describing the things that were taking place in that early church community. And I love it because it's some of the most beautiful descriptions of a church you can possibly see. So here's what he says, and I want you to listen to this, to what he, what he has to say about this early church. He says, It is the Christians, O emperor, who have sought and found the truth. We have realized it from their writings. They are closer to the truth and to a right understanding than all the other peoples, for they acknowledge God. They believe in him the creator and builder of the universe, in whom are all things and from whom everything comes. They worship no other God. They have his commands imprinted upon their hearts. They live in the awareness of their smallness. I love this. Kindliness is their nature. They truly love one another. They don't neglect widows. Orphans they rescue from those who are cruel to them. Every one of them has, who has anything gives ungrudgingly to the one who has absolutely nothing. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof. They rejoice over him as over a real brother. 
For they do not call one another brothers after the flesh, but they know that they are brothers in the spirit and in God. Every morning, yes, every hour, they give praise and honor to their God for all the good things that he's given them. They thank him for their food and they thank him for the drink. This, O emperor, is the rule of life of the Christians and this their manner of life. Church, this is how we pray uh, for DBC. I pray that this would take root here at DBC, that we would have such a strong affection for Jesus, that it would come out and that it would impact our community and the way that we love one another, the way that we serve one another. And church, I'm just going to remind you at this time, like this is coming from a, a second century church that did not have the privileges, the luxuries, and the comforts that are be t- being taken from us today. They didn't have any of those things. These were people that were living under the constant threat of death all the time. The threat of sickness was everywhere. They didn't have medicines. They didn't have hospitals to go to or anything like that. Persecution was certain at that point in time. These were people that didn't have a giant church building to go to. They didn't have AC or comfortable chairs. They didn't have any of these kinds of things. These were people that gathered together in homes every single week, much like many of you guys are doing today. And all they did was they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching according to Acts 2.42. They, dev- they dedicated themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And guess what, church? Like, they continued to flourish. The church didn't die out because they didn't have all these amenities. They didn't have all these luxuries. They didn't have all these comforts. I mean, church, the, the church absolutely flourished during this season. I mean, at the end of Acts chapter 2, we're going to see this picture that the church is selling the different things that they have, and they're sharing with the people who are in need all around them. By chapter 7, Stephen becomes the first martyr in the church, and this is designed to, to scatter the church and to end the church, to put fear in the church, but it does the opposite. The church just spreads out, and they go and be the church wherever they are, and they keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the church just keeps growing and growing and growing. By chapter 13, Peter's been in prison for his faith, and the church doesn't get scared and run away. They gather together, and they pray, and the church just keeps growing and growing and growing. In fact, like it grows from roughly 1,000 believers in A.D. 40 to nearly 30 million by A.D. 350. In other words, nearly 53% of the Roman Empire converts to Christianity. And again, church, my whole point is this, that all they had was the indwelling Holy Spirit, a tiny gathering of believers in homes. And all they did was listen to the apostles' teaching, get together and pray, have fellowship, and they broke bread and they observed the Lord's Supper together. And so all I want to do for us this morning, church, is I want to bring us back to those early days. And I want to talk about this flourishing house church and specifically the Lord's Supper, this, this meal which has provided sustenance and provided hope and peace for the church all around the world from the very beginning of time. And so if you haven't gotten the memo yet, now would be a great time. You can go to your pantry, uh, go grab a loaf of bread, get some juice or some cran grape or even a Merlot if you choose. And um, and we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper here today. Uh, if, you've got the, if you've got the unleavened matzah crackers, uh, that's even better. Uh, I've noticed on the, they, they didn't actually run, run out of those at the grocery store this past week. It's kind of shocking, but, um, but those are still there too. But, you know, I'll tell you this, for the longest time, every time we gather together to take the Lord's Supper at church, I had the hardest time understanding what we were actually doing. Came to faith very early on. And it was in this church that we kind of, we, we, we changed it all up week in and week out. And so one week it would be the cracker, one week it would be bread, one week it would be this incredible French bread from Kroger. I mean, it was still hot and, and toasty. And like every time that that would be passing, the thing that would be going through my mind is, oh my gosh, what, you know, what are we having today? 
You know, I'd be, I'd be going, okay, are we doing crackers today? Are we doing that awesome French bread? You know, what are we thinking about today? In fact, the very first time that I, that I took communion, I remember we getting upset with my parents because they yanked me out of children's ministry here, which had gold, goldfish crackers. They had the Capri Sun juice for snacks and things like that. And we come back into the main service, and now we've got these, like, tasteless matzah crackers that are absolutely horrific um, and juice and things like that. Point of the matter, church, is like, there's a lot of different things that can flood our mind every time we gather and we take this meal together. And so all I want to do is I want to bring us back to the beginning. I want to talk about the three C's of communion, which are essentially cleansing, community, and calling. And I want to talk about why this meal has brought about so much peace and so much hope in the church from the very beginning. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn. 1 Corinthians 11 is where we're going to be. I want to pick it up in verse 23, but... Actually, the story begins a little bit earlier because this is a section of Scripture where Paul is ripping the early church in Corinth, right? So if an empty church is kind of nightmare number one, this is nightmare number two, that your church is so dysfunctional that Paul actually makes an example of how not to function together as a church body. That's exactly what he does. Uh, he actually comes and he says, uh, your, your gathering together does more harm than it does good. And so what's leading up to this section is this is a gathering of people that's not doing the Lord's Supper well. They're not gathering well. They're not doing church well. In verse 18, we find out this is a church that has divisions all over the place. Uh, there's a hierarchy. There's preferential treatment that's going on inside of this church body. Verse 21, nobody's waiting for other people to get there. Some people are starving to get to death. Other people are gorging themselves and eating all that they can. Some people have nothing to drink while other people are getting drunk and so he sums this all up in verse 20, and he says, yeah, when you guys come together, it's not even the Lord's Supper that you're taking anymore. Like, what you're doing in, in your gathering is so dysfunctional, it can't even be called the Lord's Supper anymore. And so he comes here in verse 23, and he draws our attention back to where it was originally intended to go. And here's what he says in verse 23, this reminder of what it was supposed to be. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And so you begin to see a little bit of the point of this entire meal. Two different times. He says, whenever you gather together to take this meal, the entire point of this meal is that you're going to do this. You're going to take these elements in remembrance of me. You're going to think about who Jesus is. You're going to think about all the different things that he's done on your behalf. And when we're talking about remembrance here, it's important to understand we're not just talking about a fleeting thought in the back of our mind. We're not talking about, oh, yeah, there's that thing about Jesus, and then, oh, yeah, that's what he did, and that was fantastic, and that's a great thing to think about, talk about. Like, we're not just talking about a fleeting memory or anything like that. The biblical idea of remembrance is that we bring that thing that we're remembering to the forefront of our mind, and that it actually changes the way that we live. John Piper talks about this, and I love the way that he talks about this, but he says, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to receive from Christ the nourishment and the strength and the hope and joy that comes from feasting our souls on all that he has purchased for us upon the cross, especially our fellowship with him. But church, like that's what this meal is. Like it's a feast for our souls. We are feasting on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are feasting upon his finished work on our behalf. And as we feast, uh, we feast in such a way that remembers everything that he's done on our behalf. And as we do that, he meets us in the middle of that place and he fills us with things like strength and with hope and with joy that'll take us through the rest of the day. Church, that's how it sustains the early church in the very beginning. 
And so here it is. Instead of Jesus coming and just giving us another lesson about the gospel or something like that, he gives us this meal. It's going to bring us back to the very beginning and remember everything that it is that Jesus, brought, that Jesus came to do. And he gives us this meal because he knows how easy it is for us to forget. He knows that we're forgetful people. Like, it's why we have 10 different reminders on our phone, and somehow still we're going to miss the appointment we're supposed to make, right? My cat can call me and say, hey, I need you to go to the store and pick up this, that, and the other, and I'm going to somehow forget to do that exact same thing. Like, he knows how forgetful we actually are. I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, we're going to see just a little bit of this thing. He's constantly calling us to remember the faithfulness of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is just after Israel's rescue from, the, from Egypt, and, uh, and God says to him this, he says, be sure, church, that you don't forget the Lord. When you eat your fill, when you build and occupy good houses, when your cattle and flocks increase, when you have plenty of silver and gold, in other words, like when you're living in America in the 21st century and you've got all the things that you need, when you've got beautiful homes to go back to, you've got air conditioning, you've got a roof over your head, you've got money in the bank, you've got food to eat, when you've got all these different things, he says, don't forget the Lord, Israel. After I brought you out of the bondage of slavery and now that you're doing pretty well, don't forget that I'm the one that did all that for you. Be sure that you don't feel self-important and forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, the place of slavery. In other words, church, don't forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the bondage of addiction. Don't forget the Lord your God who brought you out of this empty religiosity that you grew so comfortable in and he wowed you with his grace and now all of a sudden you've been set free to worship him. Don't forget these things. Don't forget the things that he's brought you out of. Be sure that you don't feel self-important and forget the Lord your God, verse 15, who brought you through the great, fearful desert of venomous serpents and scorpions. Church, in other words, don't forget that he's healed disease before. Uh, don't forget that he's, he's brought you through fearful things before. Don't forget that he's faithful in the middle of these things. Don't forget that he's an incredible provider in the middle of this thing that we're going through right here. He's made water flow from a flint rock, and that he fed you in the desert with manna, which your ancestors had never known before. Don't forget that he did all that to humble you and to test you in this season. Don't forget the point of what's going on right here. It's to humble us and to test us and to eventually bring good to us in the end, he says. Be careful not to say, my own ability, my own skill, my own ability to predict the stock market, my own ability to control the economy, my own ability to provide for my future retirement and to create my own plans. Don't say these things. My own ability and skill has gotten me all these things. You must remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives ability to get wealth. And church, like, that's just one time out of about 150 times all throughout Scripture, he brings us back and he calls us to remember. He's reminding us to remember over and over and over again. I mean, in the book of Numbers, like he, he calls the people to put tassels on their clothes so that they can remember the faithfulness of God. Point of the matter, church, is like he knows that we're prone to forget. He knows how difficult it is to remember the faithfulness of God when the things that are weighing heavy on our life are, are right in front of our face. Okay, he knows how difficult it is to remember that he is a protector on the front end of this thing, as we talked about last week. He's a provider in the middle of it. He's a healer on the back end, and he's a redeemer of all things still future. Like, it, it's hard to remember that he's still in control and that he actually cares about the things that are going on in your world. And so Jesus gives us this meal simply to remind us that he's faithful and to remember that the reason this is a brand new and better covenant, which he talks about here, is because his broken body and his shed blood has accomplished our cleansing once and for all, as the author of Hebrews says. Past, present, and future. All of our sins completely forgiven, and we've been washed clean. To remember that everything that he went through on the cross 
wasn't just an example of how to live or an example of love or a great example for us to follow in any form or fashion, but it was actually necessary for him to go through because like his body was broken as a substitute for you and me because the wages of our sin has earned us death and holy can have absolutely nothing to do with unholy. Church, like that's how holiness works. Purity can't have anything to do with impurity. Holiness can't have anything to do with unholy. Like that's how the whole thing works. I've shared with you uh, this, this story uh, from a, a trip to is- India a, a number of years ago, but I'll never forget being out there. And one of the trips that th- this church took me out on, we were out in the slums, and uh, we were out there ministering to this community of people that didn't have a whole lot going on. They had no running water. They didn't have plumbing or any of those things. And so it was a very desperate area. And we went out there, and one of the families invited me into their home, and they insisted that they were going to cook for me that evening. One part of the ministry, and they took out all the spices for you know, the white people that were there because we couldn't really take it very much. But pretty much everybody there cooks with king chilies all the time. The king chili is one of the hottest chilies in the entire world. And so we had to be very careful about some of the things that we were eating. And so we're out in, we're out in this village, and this family invites me into the home. And, of course, they made the entire meal. It's rice, and it's some meat, and it's some, uh, some sort of a stew. And the entire thing is made with king chili. And so I took one little bite of that thing, and, and immediately my whole mouth is just lit up. And, of course, I look over, and the only water that's out there, they had this one big giant bucket of water. And I'm not kidding, it was brown water. I uh, had a lot of different things floating in this water. And uh, this kid comes over, and he brings me a cup of water. And the whole thing, it's got things popping out of it. It's got things floating around in the water. And I'm looking at this water kind of going, if I drink this thing, I'm going to be done for the rest of the trip. Like, it's just not going to work out. I, I can't have this kind of water, right? Clean can't have anything to do with, with unclean, and my system can't adjust to what's going on right here. And so I politely declined. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to just deal with this, all the heat of it. I'm going to have to deal with this on my own. And so uh, he, the kid is, is really, really cool. He, he's looking at this thing, and he's seeing the tension that's inside of me. And so he thinks he's doing me a favor, and he comes over, and he puts his hand inside the cup that's sitting next to me, and he starts to scoop out the chunks in the water. And I'm looking at him going, I'm like, okay, that's great. I'm, I'm very thankful for your kindness and everything. But like the problem's not just with the few things that are floating in the water. Like the problem is that the entire thing is contaminated. Like a few, like a few, sco- a few chunks removed from this water isn't going to solve the entire problem. Church, what I needed was a brand new bottle of water. What I needed was a brand new source to pull from, a brand new purified water that I'd be able to drink from. What I needed was someone who was on the outside to come and to do for me what I was completely incapable of doing for myself. And church, it's exactly what we remember when we come to the Lord's Supper. God provided that substitute for us in the broken body of Jesus and in his shed blood. You and I were never holy. We were never clean. But God in his infinite love sent Jesus as a substitute for me, not as, just, not as an example, but as a substitute for me to come and to live the sinless, holy life that I was not able to live. Like my sin accomplished death and separation from God. And so Jesus willingly went to the cross where his body was broken and his blood was shed as a substitute for me. And church, the beauty of having a substitute like that is that we get to come and we get to exchange our dirt. We get to exchange our sin. We get to exchange all of our impurity. And he comes and takes those things and he grants us a cleansing. And he grants us a holiness. He calls us holy and beloved. And he gives us the right to be called children of God. Church, that's what it means to be cleansed by the shed blood of the Lamb. And so in verse 28, like Paul is going to keep going and he's going to say, before you eat this meal, I want, you to, I want you to remember and I want you to reflect and to examine yourself before you eat this meal that you don't take it in an unworthy manner. 
And so what are we thinking about then when we come and when we examine ourselves so that we don't take it in an unworthy manner? The things that we're remembering here is that by his shed blood, we have now been cleansed. I can bring to him all of my sin. I can confess to him all the things that I've, that I've struggled with, all the things that happened last night and this morning, and I can lay those things down before him confident that his blood has cleansed me totally from the inside out, past, present, and future tense. And church, that's what we remember every time we take that cup and we see his broken body, which was broken as a substitute for you, that through his broken body, through his shed blood, you and I have now been cleansed. And the reality, church, is that that is a very difficult thing for some of us to remember. That the things that we did last night, that because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that you and I have been made clean before a holy God. And so we take this meal and we, we feast on this meal and we remember that through the things that he has done on our behalf, we have now been made clean. Church, we remember the community that this cleansing is created. That it's not just us and that we're not out there alone, even though you may feel isolated in your home and you don't have a whole lot of people to be around, but you're not actually alone. You're a part of a unified, brand new, beautiful community of believers. Like we remember that there's no favoritism in this community. The rich mingle with the poor and the old mingle with the young. There's no racism, there's no petty divisions, there's no distance or anything like that. Paul's going to say in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek now that you're in Jesus Christ, neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, in other words, when you look around the table or in the room, wherever you may be this morning, like you remember that you're not alone in this thing and that, that beautifully in the body of Christ, we're all connected to one another. And that he's made us all essential members of the exact same body of Christ. Paul's going to talk about it in 1 Corinthians 12. That some of us are hands, and some of us are like feet, and some of us are the nose, and some of us may be the ears, and some of us may be the eyes. But all of us are very, very different and very unique, yet we're all essential to the exact same, and we're all essential to the body of Christ. And so here's how this plays out. Um, when one of our members suffers, uh, there's a sense where the entire body suffers. We know that we're all interconnected. We're not all alone. And so we remember when one of our members of the body is out there and you're suffering and you're hurting, you don't have food or maybe you're sick, like there's a sense in which we all suffer, in which we all hurt. And so also at this time, in addition to the community, we remember that the calling that he has for us. And he, re he reminds us of this in, in the final verse, which is essentially he says that we do these things, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns again. In other words, church, there's a mandate to continue passing on the faith and to passing on the faithfulness of God on our behalf to the other people that we're around every single day. And so we look around this room and that's exactly what we do. We pass on the faith to our kids, to our family, to people that are hurting. We remind them that there's cleansing. We remind them of the community that he's brought us into. And we keep proclaiming the faithfulness of God from one generation to the next. Tony Campolo writes about this story in letters to a young evangelical, but he shares a story from his childhood about a very meaningful time that he took communion with his church family. But he says this, he says, sitting with my parents at a communion service when I was very young, perhaps six or seven years old, I became aware of a young woman in the pew in front of us who was sobbing and shaking. The minister had just finished reading the passage of scripture written by Paul that says, whosoever shall eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. As the communion plate with its small pieces of bread was passed to the crying woman before me, she waved it away, and then she lowered her head in despair. It was then that my Sicilian father leaned over her shoulder and in his broken English said sternly, take it, girl. It was meant for you. Do you hear me? His body and his blood 
It was meant for you. She raised her head and she nodded. And then she took the bread and she ate it. And I knew at that moment some kind of heavy burden was lifted from her heart and from her mind. Since then, I've always known that a church that could offer communion to hurting people was a special gift from God. Church, that's exactly what he's called us to do. To look at the people around you and to say, take it. Because his body and his blood was shed for you. Take it. Because his body and his blood was shed as a substitute for you. That you could be completely clean, cleansed and clean. You could be a part of a brand new community. Take it. His body and blood, it was meant for you. And so church, that's exactly what we're going to do today. This is the meal that has sustained the church from the very beginning. It's provided hope. It's provided joy. It's given them a purpose, a calling, a community, and a future. Like this is the meal that has sustained the church from the very beginning. And so we're going to go before the Lord's table, and we're going to take this thing together. In a few minutes, I'm going to come, and here's how this is going to work out. I'm going to pray for us in just a minute. Travis and the band, they're going to come back up, and they're going to pray. Um, and I want to ask that you have someone in your home distribute the elements to whoever you're taking this with. Uh, don't eat the elements yet. You're going to distribute them all at the same time, the bread and the cup. Uh, you can hold on to them. And we're going to come together in a few minutes, and we're going to take these elements at the exact same time. In the meantime, I just want to invite you to quietly pray and to remember the faithfulness of God towards you, his cleansing, this brand-new community that he's brought you into, and the calling to keep proclaiming the faithfulness of God from one generation to the next. If you'll bow with me, we'll go to the Lord's table here together. But, Father, we... Um...